The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. All are welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to create a life that's intentional and dynamic? Welcome to The Intentional Spirit with your host, Reverend Temple Hayes. And welcome, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to the show. And more importantly, thank you for being on the journey as a student of life, just like myself, and totally committed to being an intentional person meaning that we continue to move forward uh, in a forward movement, honoring spirit, being guided by life. And at the same time, we are not immersed in the external realities all the time. We are working from insight, from the inside, and here to speak um, in such a rich and dynamic way today. We have a tremendous special guest Mok Young Ro. And uh, Yun Ro is uh, just a powerful human being. And he has written a profound new book, Mad Monk Manifesto, a prescription for evolution, revolution, and global awakening. Well, I'm signed up and I'm, I'm ready to go. Welcome to our show today. Thank you so much for being with us. I'm honored to be with you, and thank you so much for your interest in my work. Absolutely. Um, why did you, um, what were you into or the time of your life when you were wanting to write this book? Why was it important to you? Uh, you know, I had been exhorted to write a memoir, which I am going to do uh, after I'm finished with the book that I'm working on at this moment. And um uh, and I got to thinking, is there a way that I can, instead of using the memoir format, but rather in a sort of um, more of a polemical, exhortative document, put together the things, some you know, some stories and motivational episodes from my life with, with the Taoist ideas that I embrace and that frame the way I see the world and use that to share uh, a different vision of how we might live. Uh, what our country might look like, what we ourselves might look like, and the kinds of people we could be. Um, and so, uh, you know, in uh, 2016, when I saw the beginnings of unfoldings with the election and so on, I I thought um, maybe this is the time to put these ideas together. Well, it's incredible in this lifetime how many chapters we have and how we live and die and are always emerging into different aspects of, of who we are. And um, your publicist was sharing with me a profound point 
that I, I really wanted our, our audience to hear. How did a Jewish boy from New York become a Taoist monk? <laughs> and do you live in a monastery? <laughs> yeah. So, well, you know, I'll cover that, I guess, in, in the, the memoir when I get to that. But, you know, the, the, short, the short answer is that um, I, I, I think we are, <clears throat> each and every one of us, born with certain proclivities, a certain wiring in our brain, uh, maybe... Um, something more spiritual or transcendent than that, it's tough to say. Um, but certainly uh, a set of impulses and a way of seeing the world that, um, you know, we, we pop out from the womb with those things in place. And then what happens next is that, you know, um, you know, the water meets the salt and we get the ocean. So what, what, what forces are at work on us? Um, you know, steer how those proclivities are manifest. I, I can tell you that I was born a seeker. I mean, I just, I'm one of those people who look at the world and think, you know, I'm looking at the surface of the pond here, and I'd like very much, kind of like the little turtles that I love so much and have been such a part of my life for so many years. I want to be able to see what's out on the land and what's up in the sky and what's on the surface of this water, but I also want to see what's underneath it. And and so I was lucky enough, I, I think lucky is the word, although maybe some other set of forces would have yielded the same result, but I, I was uh, born the son of the world's most famous heart specialist, and my father was in that position for the better part of 30 or 40 years. Um, and as such, we had uh, the people who ran the world at the time of my childhood, kings and princes and presidents and captains of industry and moguls and Hollywood stars and uh, great academics and all that artists coming through my parents' Park Avenue home. And I got to see these people and meet them firsthand and talk to them. And what I, what I realized pretty quickly was that although those people purportedly represented exactly what everybody wants in their life, to be and have and achieve. They were beautiful and smart and uh, rich and, and influential and powerful and all that. And yet, the majority of them were not particularly happy, were not particularly uh, self-actualized, were not particularly developed or advanced as human beings. And of course, again, there were, there were plenty of exceptions. But, but by and large, those folks were just like the rest of us. And... Um, all that they had and had become and were given had made them no more happy or fulfilled than anybody else. And and since that was such a jarring thing to see for someone who was paying attention, I, I began to wonder what other things had I been told, what other bills of goods had I been sold that were not true about life. And that led to, you know, one inquiry after another. And my mother was a student of the philosopher, Martin Buber, a famous Jewish thinker, and she had a library full of books on philosophy, and I started reading them at 10 or 12 years old, and I didn't understand much of them, but I did get that the ones from the East seemed to have a special resonance for me, and I combined that with watching David Carradine's Kung Fu TV show <laughs> in the 70s and looking at a rendition of Taoist or Shaolin monks, and Buddhist actually, 
and thinking, wow, there's a whole different way of living, a whole different way of approaching life than the one I've been living. You know, I'm <clears throat> I'm always reminded of the um, in what you're saying. Uh, I'm I'm feeling the energy of the of the song "Amazing Grace," which um, I was uh, brought into a culture of deep-rooted Southern <clears throat> baptism, um, that movement, and it never resonated with me at all. Um, I would have never participated had I not been forced to do so. Uh, because I was I was born innately uh, metaphysical and very open and with spirituality and yada yada. But the song Amazing Grace, though I liked it, I didn't like how it was used there. But I never understood it until I researched it, you know, as I got older. And I, I love the story of how uh, the author John Newton was following the ways of his dad and he was a, a a slave ship captain until the ship almost crashed. And through this almost death kind of experience, he had an awakening that he was supposed to go his own way and his own path. And that is what he means that he was saved. Uh, it's used in traditional Christianity as a, a plea or a pull, but that's the song's intention was really about a hero's soul journey. Uh, it could be a leader, a leader's journey of learning to go your own way. And to me, that's what you are so much about, you know, is representing the changes we need to see in society. We need uh, true leaders uh, that are authentic and self-realized. And of course, you know, often people don't understand a true leader isn't a leader that needs to diminish anyone else to make themselves look better. A true leader is someone that's drawing through their own inner wisdom and consciousness and holds a space that hopefully other people even rise above them. It's not the intimidator factor uh, or all those other qualities. And I know that you speak a lot about leadership and we are certainly craving it in our in our culture today so the Tao is that idea of, of leadership and and perhaps when I'm done describing this I can speak for a moment to um, what Taoism is so people who don't know can feel more comfortable but the Taoist idea of, of a great leader is um, one that stands in stark contrast to what we have uh, today in this country and, and other countries uh, that are pri uh, primary in the world. <clears throat> so in the Taoist uh, description, the very worst leader is the one whom everybody fears. Then slightly better is the one whom everybody hates. Slightly better is the one uh, whom everybody has no particular feeling about one way or the other. A little, a little better than that is the one everybody loves. But really the ultimate best leader is the one uh, whom nobody knows. And not only do they not know that person, but they may not even know that the office that that person occupies exists. 
Mm, In other words, that's powerful. Someone, wow. Yeah, there is so opposite of what we're being programmed, right? <laughs> Indeed, <laughs> right? And so the idea is that there's somebody um, whose finger is uh, a, a finger is resting lightly on the tiller, uh, steering the ship gently with minute uh, corrections so that it never goes off course, no matter the storm uh, or the wind or the obstacle. Uh, and yet everybody just thinks that, um, uh, you know, they're getting where they want to go because everybody on board is such a happy person and so well-realized and everybody gets along and they just sort of subconsciously figure that the vessel, the vehicle that they're on, moving forward through the world is just um, doing what it does because of them and their energies and efforts. And they don't even know that someone is sitting down there in the bowels of the ship uh, with their finger on, on that rudder. When you look at, you know, people that are role modeling or lack of, I mean, I know with even the title of your book, it, it starts out with the word mad. Are we immersed in anger, energy? So I chose the word mad um, because it stands at an interesting intersection between angry and a bit crazy. Um, and, and Mad Monk Manifesto, the book that we're talking about today, is it's a little bit of a raised middle finger to the way things are and a utopian presentation of the way they could and maybe should be and an exhortation to all of us to work in the direction uh, that the book suggests all the way from our personal changes in our own lives and habits and the way we eat and the way we exercise and the way we sleep and the way we listen to music and, and on and on all the way out to, you know, how we participate in our community and our culture and um, uh, how we treat the environment. But the fact is that, you know, America in, in all the places that I travel in the world and I'm an itinerant person, I, I travel all the time. Uh, it helps me to, keep uh, perspective as global as possible on things. I've never really been anywhere where people are as angry as they are in the United States. With the possible exception, I suppose, as I say that, of some time I spent in Cambodia where people are still enraged by the outrages of the Khmer Rouge regime and the things they had to endure. But for some reason, um, we we are generally the most privileged uh, folks on the planet. We enjoy the spectacular advantage of our geography <clears throat> and our brief history. And yet, everybody here is so dissatisfied. Our our anti culture. We don't really have a culture in the United States. We have an anti culture. Our our short brief anti culture has created this great cognitive dissonance, this great distance between 
the way our life is and the perfect, effortless, and entitled way and abundant, another buzzword that rankles me a little bit, um, the way it should be. So the distance between the way we think our life should be and the way it is is what makes us so angry. And if we're going to get rid of that anger, we have to... uh, have to address its cause. I I couldn't agree with you more. We're we're more interested often in using lofty words rather than the integration of the words. That's right. You know, um, abundance, 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 gratitude, 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 gratitude. <laughs> oneness, 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 oneness. You know. <laughs> And it it's uh, it sounds impressive, but the integration and the living it from day to day is an entirely different reality than just using the words. Um, for the usage of the word oneness, uh, that's a, that's a big word to use because every day it is a process of feeling the oneness within oneself, let alone the projections that are onto everybody in the external world. <clears throat> so I love how you're you're taking such a real and strong approach and we definitely we need more of that. <laughs> Not just talking around things but going into them. And um I, I find your work tremendously helpful. Thank you so much for saying so. You know, in uh, in my Tai Chi classes that I teach, uh, most often here in South Florida, where I spend a lot of time, um, but also around the world from Australia and Malaysia to Europe and so on, I often tell my students that there is no point in attempting to disguise from me those things that you find difficult or don't feel you are doing well. It's almost human nature to not want the teacher to see you screw up, but to want to put your best foot forward. And yet, in, in a Tai Chi class, and I use a Tai Chi class as, a, uh, as an example of the Taoist notion that we need various and sundry practices to cultivate ourselves and focus our energies on actualization and growth and repair rectification of ourselves. We have to find a safe place to make our mistakes and to repeatedly, doggedly nibble at that thing which we find so difficult and challenging as opposed to procrastinating about dealing with it or putting it away for another day in in some emotional sense or just avoiding it altogether and trying to cover up the weak places in us and the places that need fixing that are damaged in us um, and disguise them from the world. Doing that will only lead to long-term dis-ease in all the senses of that word and not to the growth and power and health that we want. Mm, hallelujah. The the consistent, I, I need to fix something about myself. I need to take care of this broken thing. I... Um, it continues to feed it, doesn't it? 
It does. And, you know, there, there are places where we do need work, each and every one of us. But rather than thinking about those places as uh, areas in which we fall short because we don't match some external model or we don't live up to something that a parent, teacher, friend, relative, mentor told us we could or should, that is a different matter from knowing who you really are deep down, what it is you really want to do with your life, what you do best, what you enjoy most, and arranging your experience of living in such a way as to support that, whatever it is. And it is that arranging that I'm referring to when I say rectifying ourselves. So, you know, if you want, really want to be a marathon runner, and you think you have a great gift for that, and you want to make your contribution that way, but you've got a bum heart. Uh, you know, repairing that heart is step one. <laughs> a crude and simple, perhaps overly simple example, but that's what I'm talking about. No, it's spot on. No doubt. It's, it's, I, I love it. I mean, I, I, it resonates with me. And, I, you know, I just uh, really get exactly uh, what you're saying. I mean, even in the uh, broadness of, of unity, and I'm a science mind minister as well, but within the new thought uh, movement, um, unity, the, the founders um, were vegan. And I mean, to the, the not only in the totality of being a vegan, but uh, Charles Fillmore was very expressive about it um, and uh, made it very clear that, you know, that was definitely the way that people ought to go. But it's very interesting. So few people who represent the unity movement are vegan <laughs> or even mentioned that as a highlighted aspect of who the Fillmore's were and why they doubled their life expectancy, et cetera, et cetera. I know you feel passionate about that. Um, how did you, was it like a process? Is it something that you just um, decided over time? Or I'm vegan too, so I'm, I'm with you. So, I just you know, wonder how is, it came about yeah. for you. Yes, so so I'll, I'll share that in a moment. I just I just don't want to gloss over something that is arguably more important than in, in the last point you made, which is, you know, this business of walking the talk. Mm-hmm. There, there mm-hmm. is a certain strength, a certain force, a certain power that emerges organically from the act of doing and believing along the same line of congruence. So if you walk your talk, and if you talk your walk, you are so much more effective and powerful in the world than if you don't. Mm. So when, when, we, when we procrastinate about making the changes in our lives that we need to make, or when we deceive ourselves and others by saying we are something that we are not, when we advocate to others the doing, the feeling, the contributing, the service work um, that we know is needed in the world, but don't actually do any of those things ourselves. 
Um, we have no credibility, we have no authenticity, and we have no force in the world. So when it comes to being vegan, there's so many things to say about, you know, the political correctness of being vegan, how so many non-vegans find vegans holier than thou and offensive and annoying and tiresome and on and on and on. Um, and, and there are an equal number of things to say about the horrors of factory farming and all the environmental uh, impacts of eating meat uh, and, and eating, in fact, the way we do, uh, and especially in this country. And, and we could spend, you know, not just one, but I'm sure 10 shows on that subject alone. I think the most important thing to say about being vegan is simply this, that there is great evidence that the plant-based diet is a healthier recipe for health, is a, is a better recipe for health and longevity than to eat animal uh, products. And that aside from the hormones, the antibiotics, the pesticides and other impurities and chemicals that are to be found in our packaged goods and particularly in, in animal products of all kinds, there is this overarching, simple reason and recipe to be vegan. And that is that if you can be very healthy without causing suffering for sentient beings, why not? In other words, why choose to eat in a way that causes great suffering in the world among thinking, feeling creatures if you not only don't have to, but if doing so makes you less healthy? Forget the spiritual, forget the metaphysical, just the, for a moment, the bare bones of it. You're going to live longer, spend less at the doctor, and suffer less yourself if you do a plant-based diet and don't cause all that suffering to other sentient beings without reason or cause. And that's the most powerful and simplest argument for being vegan, in my view. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Why would we not? And there, there's no not? reason. It's just so easy to do now. And, um, and it, there's a real freedom to it, you know, especially the energy. It, it makes all the all the difference. For those of you that are tuning in, I'm talking to Mok Yoon Ro, and he is a Taoist monk. He is an author of an incredible book called Mad Monk Manifesto. You can go to Amazon and get his book. You can also uh, go to his website, Mok Yoon Ro. That's Mok Y U N R O U dot com. And we'll be right back after this short break. Thank you so much for being with us. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. 
This programming is made possible through the generous donations of listeners like you. If you feel inspired by this programming, we invite you to contribute. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate to make your offering today. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Mindful Moment with Eric Butterworth, taken from the live lecture, A Course in Practical Metaphysics. Emily Cady, in her Lessons in Truth, makes a statement which I think we need to kind of think about a little bit. She says, God is not a being with qualities or attributes, but he is the good itself coming into expression as life, love, power, wisdom, etc. He is the good itself coming into expression as life, love, power, and wisdom. In other words, and this again is, is shattering to some of us, God is not loving. Ah, God is a loving God. God is not loving. Because the moment we talk about God as loving, we've got the anthropomorphic Michelangelo like God sitting up in a crowd somewhere with his heart beaming out and saying, Oh, I love you all down there, so you're so dearly, as long as you're good. But I'm not going to love you very much if you don't go to church and so forth. God is not loving. God is love. To find out more about Eric Butterworth, visit unity.org. Have you ever performed a random act of kindness? In a beautiful new book called Write It On Your Heart, Unity employees make suggestions for random acts they've tried or received themselves. The book includes 40 ways to express kindness or compassion and has room to journal about your experiences. It's the perfect gift, and you'll want one for yourself, too. Look for Write It On Your Heart at unity.org shop. What if you could start each day with a positive outlook, remembering you are a divine expression of God? Daily Word is a booklet of daily devotionals offering positivity that's downright contagious. With a print subscription or by email, you can pause to reflect on how to practice spirituality in your human experience. Reading Daily Word takes about a minute a day, so you can feel uplifted every morning. Visit dailyword.com to subscribe. More and more people are interested in a vegan lifestyle, and the numbers continue to grow. Join Victoria Moran every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central for Main Street Vegan and learn how to make the shift to help animals and the planet. Each week, Victoria shares recipes, health tips, and interviews with celebrity vegans, experts, and activists. Learn how to make a difference for animals and the planet at every meal. Right here on Unity Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to The Intentional Spirit with Reverend Temple Hayes. And welcome back, everyone. We're talking to um, Monk Yoon Ro and uh, What a Powerhouse and creator of um, his incredible book, um, Mad Monk Manifesto. You can go on Amazon to purchase the book. And um, he is just like, um, I know through the years, the seven or eight years I've been on this show, our listeners always love it when we're talking to someone authentic and real and, and just to the point. And I'm thoroughly enjoying uh, spending time with you, Monk. Thank you for that. Um, we have kind of talked around uh, in various ways, um, Taoism, uh, 
what is Taoism? So Taoism is a uh, a religion and a philosophy uh, in in some ways the way Buddhism is. Um, but our listeners, your listeners, are much more familiar with Taoism and know it much better than they know that they know it. And that fact is due to the good works of a fellow called George Lucas, who created this thing called Star Wars. <laughs> Lucas was himself um, a great devotee of uh, the juxtaposition in Chinese history between highly regulated uh, society uh, as put forth by the Chinese philosopher Confucius and the rebellious, nature-loving uh, orgies in the mountains um, free thinkers called Taoists. And he chose, in, in the wonderful way that he has done, to render that conflict, which was real and existed on the other side of the world for thousands of years, um, in his stories of the empire and the rebels in the Star Wars universe. So the Taoists are the, are the Jedis. The Taoist masters are Jedi masters, um, and, or I should say the other way around. And uh, that we see in the love that the rebels have for nature, how the Jedi uh, masters find followers who live in forested planets and underground in caves or on top of mountains or in, in, in beautiful jungles, whereas the empire, the Confucianists, uh, cleave to things like the clone armies, uh, weapons, artificial intelligence, robots, uh, and, and so on that are sort of anti-nature. So what we know of Taoism uh, is, what we know of Star Wars is, is all informed by the Taoist sensibility to worship nature, to find a way to tap into the force, you know, the power of nature, uh, to live in harmony and balance with the rest of nature of which we are a part and with each other. And um, that stands in contrast to sort of the material frenzy, the tyranny of time that seems to drive our lives in our, in our society, where we're always scurrying around doing the bidding of someone else, a boss, uh, a landlord, somebody else who has, uh, and of course nowadays, um, the, the lords of our so-called attention eco uh, economy, people who are very eager to have our eyeballs and our hard-earned dollars, who want to convince us to spend money we don't have on things we don't need, who want to keep us hopping and jumping all the time, because if we have time to reflect, each and every one of us, if we have time to think deeply about the world and about our own lives, then we begin to question the order of things, which is so unnatural. We begin to question 
what we've been told life is really about and what the important things are, that big screen TV or the corner office or the fancy car or the big house. And we wonder whether trading a non-renewable resource time for a renewable one, money, is really such a great idea as the ruling guideline of our lives. And of course, people who want to control us and who want something from us and who do not have our best interest at heart don't want us thinking deeply about anything, so they try to keep us hopping. And surprisingly, in 2019, um, they're still doing a pretty good job. <laughs> because we let them. But yeah, of course, of course, absolutely. People often think it's easier to be told what to do rather than think for themselves. It's uh, quite shocking. Um, we have so much going on now in our in our environment and you have a lot of passion about that. There is a lot going on. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, the one way to think about the prescriptions in the Mad Monk Manifesto is to think about dropping a stone into a pond and watching the ripples spread out at ever larger circumference. So when we make little changes in ourselves, in our behaviors, so for example, we resolve not to watch television any longer or to limit our TV from the usual five hours we spend to an hour, say. Uh, when we resolve... Uh, you mentioned in the break that, you know, you like the line, sitting is the new smoking. So we resolved to set a, a timer on our computer, all computers have them these days, to every 20 minutes, not every two hours, as I see sometimes recommended online, but every 20 minutes there's something to go buzz and make us get up and walk around the house, stretch a little bit. Uh, we want to counter all that sitting with vigorous exercise. Um, and, and I often hear from people say, oh, yeah, how do you have time to do that? How, how can you go to the gym for an hour, an hour and a half every day? Who, who can do that? We have, we have responsibilities, jobs, kids, blah, blah. And these are the very same people who are, you know, turning on the TV when they get home from work at 6 o'clock and going to sleep at midnight having watched six hours of television. You know, we don't recognize the way we're, we're wasting our, our time. So there are all kinds of little things we can do. So we were talking earlier about being vegan. You could take this example. Let's say that, you know, you go to Thanksgiving dinner and you, you decline the turkey and you decline the stuffing made with egg. And you say, you know, I'm just going to have these vegetables here. I'm going to have some of this rice pilaf. And people will ridicule you and say, oh, you know, it's a ridiculous idea. Vegan. How can you be vegan on Thanksgiving? Look at this wonderful bird, this poor dead bird that suffered for you. And, and you say, well, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to do that. And then next Thanksgiving, when your family reconvenes and people see your marvelous bikini body and your bright eyes and your sharp mind and the amount of energy you have hopping up and down to help everybody else, they go, ooh, that's interesting. I wonder if that has anything to do with her being vegan. 
and you respond, yes, it has everything. I never felt like this before, but now I feel so great. And then they want, you know, I, I, I want some of that. Maybe, maybe I'll do that. And of course, if we follow the ripples of this outward, we see that not only have you made an effect on the lives of the animals you didn't eat, but you've made an effect on the food, on agribusiness, the food industry, and what people grow to feed you because they respond to the consumer. And you've made a, a difference in sort of the energetics of the world in terms of pollution and waste and other forms of energy, and methane production and all the rest. But the idea, of course, is that you made that, you had that impact on your family and on your friends, and they in turn had an impact on people around them. And those ripples spread outward, ultimately to the very core of the way we see ourselves and our environment. So we can't control all those ripples. All we can do is control the, the impact of the stone. Dropping the stone is, is where it begins and ends for us. But we, we, we can witness the effect that dropping the stone has. And Mad Monk Manifesto is constructed so as to start with the dropping of the stone and then examine the effects of change on culture and community and on and on out to, you know, government and, and culture and politics and eventually to the environment and the world we live in. The weather conditions have been so noted in the last year. And, of course, they've been noted before that if people weren't paying attention. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, look, it, it, it's certainly true that uh, life on Earth is cyclical. And we have this strain, you know, we've had a president who's called a global warming and climate change a Chinese hoax and denied everything from its existence to our human role in it, despite the overwhelming international widespread evidence from thousands of scientists and their studies. But aside from that, you, we have a more profound problem than our president, although sometimes it doesn't seem that we do, but we do. And the more profound problem is that we have this sense of disconnection from nature, which is false and inaccurate and misleading. We are not going to save planet Earth. Planet Earth is a big rock hanging in space and it doesn't need saving by us. What we can do is to save the Earth that we know and love and appreciate, all that brilliant, spectacular biodiversity. So if we want to save that by changing our behavior and through that, save ourselves because we are nothing without the earth uh, and we are nothing but a part of that biodiversity, then we can begin to do that. And whether things will ever be as they were, the world of our grandparents is gone, thousands and millions of species have been eradicated and they are not coming back despite the Jurassic Park movies. Um, and there's nothing we can do about that. 
we cannot recreate that world. But we, what we can do is moderate our appetites and our material frenzy and obsession, which is, of course, uh, the material frenzy and obsession is a very ineffective way of dealing with this great spiritual hole that each of us has inside. And in the end, we can save what is left of the world that we know and love. So if I walk into your house and I, and I see that there are feces and urine all over the floor and that you have sagging roof beams and that you have collapsed cabinetry and you have mold and, and bacteria growing and, and all that. I say, Temple, what, what, you know, what, what's going on here? And it occurs to me that there's something wrong with you if you can live that way. In other mm. words, there's something wrong in your head if we see that. And, and we think, wow, you know, this is a pretty shocking sign. One, one way that we often see mental illness manifest is, is in the way people are living by themselves in their homes. And yet, as clear as that is in the cases of dementia and so on, we don't seem to be able to recognize what a stunning piece of evidence it is for our own mental and spiritual illness when we see the way we are treating our home, planet Earth. Mm. That's a <clears throat> that's a profound example. I've not heard anybody put it like that before. I bet a lot of people need to. <laughs> mm. That is so powerful. I'm going to be using that and quoting you, Mark. Thank you. So when, when we're... When people say, what would the monk say? I say, never mind, he's bald. <laughs> That's too funny. <laughs> I'm I'm still yeah, being to, entertained by uh, sitting is the new smoking. <laughs> I love that statement. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a good one too. I think yeah, it's so true. I think that there are more compelling arguments now and against the sedentary lifestyle than there, there ever were against smoking. And the smoking was bad enough. But the sedentary lifestyle causes so many different problems. You know, smoking is a, is a thing, you know, it's what it does to your lungs and then your blood supply and your circulation. But, but the sedentary lifestyle affects your musculoskeletal system, your organ system, your digestion, your heart, all of it, the whole cardiovascular system. It's, it's an attack on you know, on every part and every system in your body because the human body was built to move. It evolved to move in the African savanna to walk all day long, you know, mile after mile after mile, not to run, but just to walk. That's what the bipedal structure that we have and, and our grasping thumb and, and our posing thumb and our grasping hands were, were, you know, provided us through evolution to manipulate the environment around us and to engage it physically and to not do that is to go against our greatest essence to sit in, in a sort of masturbatory frenzy that people 
engage with video games and the social media and the internet all day long. It goes against our biology. And it's a really profoundly bad idea. And I would definitely tie that in with um, some of the stronger feelings that you have about the accumulative anger that that natural innate connection with nature and walking and movement and expressing and fluidity has a lot to do with how we are in our emotional body and how we are able to relax and and be in a place of mindfulness and not react to small stuff well that's a beautiful connection which uh none none of my previous interviewers have made and i I recognize and, and applaud that, what you just said. So, you know, the truth, the, the, the Taoist tradition uh, has as its basic tenet that in order to have an enlightened and open and cultivated mind, we have to have a strong and healthy body. And that is the foundation, that mind-body, body-mind, that relationship, that distinction between the body and the mind, Taoists feel is largely false. I, I remember uh, there was a traveling expedition of the human body that went around the country, you know, 10 years ago or something. It was called the body. And, you know, it, it took all the systems of the body, including the nervous system and uh, the circulatory system, and it, it it presented models. You kind of walk through a hall with these exhibits about, you know, how the body it was and how it worked. And I remember that the nervous system, you know, we, we think about the brain as being this thing that I remember an episode of Star Trek years ago in which the crew of the Enterprise encountered a, a race of beings whose brains were enormous and they sat in bubbling blue liquid in these glass vats. And, they, and you know, these, these super beings said, we have transcended the, the suffering and the limitations of the flesh. We are no longer corporal. We're now just out zooming around the galaxy with the power of our brains. And, you know, that kind of sci-fi idea could not be more damaging as an ideal or as an idea. Because the fact is that the nervous system doesn't end at the brain. It goes all the way down to the tips of your toes and fingers and, and innervates your digestive system and your heart and everything else. So if we sit and we don't develop a healthy body and we don't know how to use our body and we're not in touch with our body, we have damaged our organism. And one of the ways in which that damage manifests is mental problems, as you have suggested. So, so stress and disquiet and so on. Depression. Yeah, I, I cannot imagine functioning in um, today's times without the gift of, of silence and quiet and the absence of noise. In, of course, including just basic fundamental exercise, but it definitely makes all the difference 
in the world. Well, as we're continuing to make the changes, I know one of the things I, I wanted you to talk about was we're making changes within ourselves, but also longing to make changes in a greater way um, in our world, in our community, where we are. And I definitely want to encourage everybody um, to go and purchase the book, um, Mad Monk Manifesto, on Amazon. It's timely, uh, poignant, uh, educational, with ideas and um, things that can support you in having aha moments. Not only aha moments, but aha moments that lead to doing something with them. And you can visit uh, Monk by going to Monk Yun Ro, um, Monk Y-U-N-R-O-U.com and visit him and see the various things that he does and what he is about. So let's talk about uh, change. So, you know, thank you for exhorting people to to get the book I, and, and read it, of course, and put the ideas into practice. You know, it's one thing to listen to a show or an interview like this. It's another thing to read books. It's another thing to watch, you know, things on television that are inspirational and so on. But, you know, all of those, those aforementioned activities are passive ones, maybe not so much the active reading of a book, but everything else. And the truth is that it's, yes, um, I, 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 I very much hope and ask that everyone listening actually buys Mad Monk Manifesto and reads it. But more than that, um, my challenge is to ask people not just to go, uh-huh, mm-hmm, yeah, that was cool, wow, you know, he's an interesting guy. But instead, actually do the things that are in the book that, that are suggested. Think about these questions that I, that I challenge the reader with and these prescriptions that I offer for change. They're very simple and nuts and bolts and one step at a time. Because unless we actually use the book as it is intended, as a blueprint for, for really changing our each and every life, then, then the book is kind of a waste. Well put. It's very true. So when we look at progression and making changes, what are some of your thoughts? Uh, there's a lovely... Um in the famous Taoist Bible, the Tao Te Ching, the book of the way and its power. Uh, and the stanza includes the line that the journey, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. So I think sometimes change, whether it's weight loss or uh, disciplining online addictions and so on, I think any of those seem daunting to most of us because the task at hand just looks overwhelming when we consider the size of it or the scope of it and we just don't know where to start. And, and you know, the answer is to be found in that lovely, uh, that lovely prescription. Just one step at a time. One step at a time. Do one thing. Don't 
put the ice cream into your mouth. Put it down, throw it away, give it to the dog, <laughs> but, but don't eat it, right? Um, you know, don't, don't sit down in front of the TV. Instead, go out for a walk, go to the gym, ride your bike, use the stair climber, um, you know, practice a little Tai Chi or Qigong, all those, or yoga, all those Eastern uh, self-cultivation exercises are wonderful and have great followings for a good reason. And, you know, little by little, um, these changes in each little decision that we make, they accumulate, uh, but we have to start somewhere. If we just keep procrastinating, nothing will get done. Yeah, I love what you're saying. Just do something. Just pick one thing because the overwhelmingness of action and, and doing 30 things usually leads to someone doing nothing. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today to Intentional Spirit. Please visit us at templehaze.com or firstunity.org. We love hearing from you and making that connection. And I loved having you today, Monk. Thank you so much for your knowledge and your wisdom. And thank you for the work that you're doing. Appreciate you. Thank you so much for the invitation and the opportunity. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Hey, it's Radley Valentine. Join me for a brand new way of connecting with your angels on my new podcast, The Angel Tarot Show. Each week, you'll meet your angelic guides and guardians and find new ways to unlock unconditional love, tune into your intuitive abilities, and create the joy-filled life that, well, you've always wanted. Plus, you'll get a useful and timely energetic weather report, bringing you guidance for the coming week. Tap into the healing, hope, and guidance that's all around you on the Angel Tarot Show exclusively on mindbodyspirit.fm.